Welcome to another episode of uh, the segment I've been doing, We the People. And it is fitting that today I have a gentleman who, when I found out about him and when I researched uh, him, Googled about him and uh, tried talking to him, he did inspire me in context of what I had been looking here in Dallas that folks from subcontinental Asia, we are not naturally inclined to participate in local politics. But here was a gentleman who not only successfully transitioned from business into public service, but was successful at it and uh, at a very young age. And he did go through, navigate through that realm, and he has been making those uh, transitions. And uh, what he's up to now, we will be speaking with him. And uh, without further ado, I have my guest today, Mr. Salman Bojani. Salman, welcome. How are you? Good. How are you, man? Very good. Thank you for um, gracing my segment. I really appreciate that. We, if we can just start with a brief uh, intro introduction there for people who don't know you. I know a lot of people in Dallas Forward know you, but uh, just for those folks who may not be aware of that, and sure. then we can take it from there. Sure. Thank you for having me, and it's a pleasure, you know, talking to you. So I was born in Pakistan. Uh, and moved to Canada when I was 10 years old with my family for better business and better educational opportunities. And then subsequently moved uh, to United States uh, in uh, 1999. So I was about 19 years old. And um, as a young adult, I moved in in the United States looking at all the liberties and all the you know, hard work pays off in this country, right? And that's what I had believed when I, when I moved here. And so started by working at gas stations, mopping floors, cleaning restrooms, stocking coolers, at six bucks an hour, so making minimum wage. Uh, it's very difficult, you know, to to make any money while you're at minimum wage. But so I w- worked at three different gas stations, um, and because nobody would give me more than 40 hours a week, um, it eventually managed a gas station, uh, became a clerk, managed it, and then bought my own gas station in 2003, uh, and had several stores in 2008 when I thought about doing something more honorable, um, j- just selling, you know, sort of other products, you know, was not something that I really enjoyed doing. I felt and I wanted to do more honorable and some serve the community in some capacity. So uh, my financial advisor recommended that I look into law school and become an attorney. And so that's when I, you know, looked at that and I really fell in love with that profession. I didn't know at that time any attorneys. So I reached out to a lot of attorneys and felt that this is something that I could do myself. And at that time I had two kids. My parents were living with me. I was already married. So it was not something that I was a very young, young guy. Um, and I, I was already established in business, so it's difficult to leave business and, and go to you know switch careers. So what I did was I applied to SMU evening evening school, uh, evening in law school. So it's a four-year program, and it's from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. every day. And so in the morning I would go to my gas stations, and in the evening I was I would go to law school. And so it was a tough four years of my life, um, and, but you know it, it paid off at the end. I did a lot of internships and uh, got good grades and I studied really well. And I uh, got, a, got a phenomenal opportunity to work at Haynes & Boone, which is a large law firm in North Texas, and uh, got to practice some, uh, some you know, like uh, law with some of the brightest legal minds. And I uh, had a good time. And then I worked there for two years, and I felt that this was something that um, I, I wanted to start my own business, right? I mean, as, as South Asians, we're very entrepreneurial, right? 
and so I was also entrepreneurial. I had my own own businesses. So I felt like that's something that I could do myself. And so I started my own practice in 2015 and opened up a title company and started a real estate investment as well on the side. And that paid off as well, quite quite well. I mean, even even recently. Uh, in 2016, I mean, I don't know if you want me to go to politics or not, but that's sort of that's what my sort of business life has been so far. It's sort of like the American dream, right? You come to America with nothing and, you know, no, no money and, and you can make something out of it in, if you work hard and are willing to be in the long, long run. You put in the hard yards and uh, you get to a point where you started looking at and then you make those uh, jumps. So talking about jumps, uh, you thought about public office and uh, when you decided and shared with your immediate circle that, okay, this is something that I'm definitely going to do initial reactions, especially considering um, how politics is perceived within our community. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a politics is a taboo subject uh, in our community because we think that politicians are corrupt, uh, you know, from from where we come from. And uh, so you don't want to be associated with that corruption or politics. And even my parents, you know, when I told them, they were like, no, we don't engage in politics. You know, we're in business. We're good. You know, why do you need to do that? And Part of me was, you know, in 2016, when we elected our former president, it felt like that was not right for us. Uh, and as soon as he became, he came to power in January of 2017, he instituted a Muslim ban uh, from 15 Muslim countries. And so that's when I knew that, I mean, I could be sitting on the sidelines and just complaining like the rest of us, or I could sort of be the change that I wanted to see in the world and, and actually put my name in the hat and run for office. And, and make a substantial impact for our community and let people know that hey, Muslims are contributing citizens of the United States and we should be respected as much as any other race. And so that's what my goal was. And, and I explained to them that, hey, this is something that even if we don't win, it's not about winning, but it's about at least running for office and, and doing a good job and always portraying positive side of our faith, right? Because there's a lot in the media that, that people talk about, but what, what people don't talk about sometimes are are people like me and you doing good things in the community and, and spreading that information. And so it was also about inspiring the next generation of youth who are born in this country, who can do a better job in, in politics from, you know, letting them know this is also a career, right? Our, our South Asian uh, parents are mostly like, hey, become a doctor, become a lawyer, you know, become a dentist, become all these professions, but nobody talks about like professions like, uh, like politics. And so I wanted to sort of bring that into the rhetoric in, of, of uh, common uh, South Asian community. Uh, it was obviously, like you said, right, it's, it's, it's always a pushback. But I think if you're passionate about something, then you can really, you know, make people understand this is important. And I think now uh, I see a lot of South Asians taking notice of this and, and, and making their kids understand that hey, this is also a, a profession that you can go. You can run for Congress. You can do so many different things to make your community better. Right, right. So we've spoken about perception. But reality hits when you actually become part of the system. So perception while you are running for office and a few lessons learned as you became city council um, member. So any reality versus perception lessons that you learned that you absolutely were not aware of and they just hit you? Sure. I mean, typically, you know, we live in, in Dallas Fort Worth area in the American society and our neighbors are cordial to us you know they, they there's no animosity as such uh, until you run for office right that's that's the caveat right that if if you're not seeking an, an elected office in in let's say their country everybody's okay with that right and and it's just i think more of of ignorance than anything else i think uh, Amer americans generally are not bad people they're just 
there, there's some uh, sensitivity to what has happened in 9-11 and there's aftermath of that, you know, the thought process that, hey, Muslims have done this and so they must be bad. So there's generalization, prejudice and all that. And so that comes out in a very negative way when you're running for office. Uh, people start thinking that, you know, we cannot have a terrorist be part of our elected office. We cannot have somebody who uh, can make women wear hijab or somebody who can bring Sharia law to this this country or the city or, or whatever. I mean, these are the buzzwords that you hear in the news and then that's what they, they spit out, right? So, and, so, and there's very minor, minute, you know, like there's a, a minority of people that do that, right? But when you're running for office and, and you're out there at the polls and, and people come and give you hatred, you know, you, you, you kind of feel like, hey, I'm here to help our city. I'm, I'm passionate about giving back to the community. Otherwise, I would not be here. It's so much easier to be at the law firm and, you know, make 400 bucks an hour, right? I mean, I could do that as easy. Um, but I'm here and standing in front of this, you know, the, the polling location asking for your vote is because I do want to serve the community in a big, better capacity. And, and what's interesting is it, I was already as part of the park board in ULIS for three years when I ran for office. And so I already had a position, but it was not an elected position. So that's why I say when you're in an elected position, that's when you get a lot of different people, the perspectives. And I think my my response was was very positive, right? I kept on reminding people that I'm here to serve the community. If if it was negative, I think they would have gotten a different, you know, a sense of our community members. And so I always think about what do I say to people that reflects bad on my community, right? At the end of the day, because we are ambassadors of our community, whether we like it or not. Um, and so I always try to be, be positive and, and encouraging and, and just say, hey, look, I'm I'm a hardworking individual. I've made the I've lived the American dream. I'm here, and now I want to give that back to our, all the community, not just my community. Uh, I want to represent entire citizens of Ulysses, and I think that what that's what resonated with people. Um, and and eventually, I, I was able to win and, and become the first minority in the history of the city to be elected to Ulysses City Council. Right. So some people say I was the first Muslim. That's true, but I was the first minority. Like no, in a minority majority city uh, like Ulysses. There was no African-American, there were no Hispanic city council members, and there's not one right now as well, right? So I've, I've, I've blazed a trail and inshallah, you know, more, more people will follow that. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, it, it's important to represent our community in a positive light and say, hey, Islam is a religion of peace. It's not what, what you think it is. And, and I think, you know, if we show that, people realize that Muslims are contributing citizens of our, of our, of our country. Absolutely. So. We're going to fast forward to what I see in the background. So from city council to Senate. Mm -hmm. So why Senate? Why not just, um, or maybe go to the house. Why Senate? Yeah. So, um, things have changed. Like I said, um, so Senate was initially, I announced that I was going to run for standard district nine in May. And I launched my campaign knowing that the district would be different, but I didn't know what they would look like because we don't have, I don't have experience. I was not here like 10 years ago in, in politically involved to know what happens. But every 10 years when we have a census, the, the Texas legislature draws out different maps. And so I had heard that people can, you know, take you out of that, of that race. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't have experience, but it was important for me to start that race. So that way I could get name recognition. I could raise funds. I could work the, the, the district. Um, so recently about, about three weeks ago or so, the Texas legislature took, drew my home out of the district that I was planning to run. 
Uh, and they not only drew it out, but they also made it extremely difficult. Uh, it, they made it extremely Republican, and I'm uh, uh, running as a Democrat uh, in that district. And so it would be an extremely difficult race to win as well. And especially for somebody like me, a South Asian or Muslim, right? Um, so looking at all the perspectives, I had suspended my campaign about two weeks ago. Um, today itself, uh, about a few hours ago, I announced that I'm running for Texas House District 92, uh, which currently I live in. And um, I, I feel that that's a much better race to be at uh, because it is it has a lot of people from diverse backgrounds in that district. 70% of that district is composed of people of color, like you and I. Uh, and so I feel that's a better district to run and obviously represent the community like how I did in, in Ulysses, right? Ulysses was the same way. It became a minority majority city and therefore I could, I could talk to more people and bring them out to vote. And that's what my plan is to do in this race as well. All right, so this is the first time, and as we were speaking off here, uh, I had a very humbling experience because I thought, hey man, I participate, I read on politics, I watch news, but I had no idea about this whole district thing. So uh, explain to briefly explain to those folks who don't know what happens after every census and how this impacts politicians plus voters as someone as myself who might be going to vote for, for example, Salman, and once the maps are redrawn, as you mentioned, now Salman is out of the picture and there is someone else. So what is this and how it impacts? So in, in, in a higher level, it's basically meant to understand what the demographics are, how many people are now living in Texas, and how do you split the 150 house districts in Texas, right? So how do you like take that whole map and then slice and dice it into 150 equal portions. That's the job of the Texas legislature every 10 years. Um, now it could be simple and drawing the lines based on city. So that way you, you have the proper lines drawn. You can base it on counties if the county is small, but you need to have equal number of people. So that's how they try to you know fix that. Now, I mean, for decades, and this is not only a Republican issue, it's, it's a Democrat issue as well. Whoever whoever is in power in the Texas legislature draws maps that favor them so that way they can be in power for the next 10 more years so they can control the next process as well. And so the way they do that is, it's called packing and cracking the minority vote. So the way they do it is, first of all, they'll try to create districts that are very Republican, like what happened to me, Senate District 9, it was a sort of 50-50 or so, maybe, maybe 55 Republican, 45 Democrats, but they could you could find more Democrats because if you if you look at the census data, overwhelmingly it, it tells you that 95% of the growth in Texas has been in people of color. Yes. And generally people of color vote democratically. People that move from California and other other states are Democrats and moving here. So generally Texas has become more democratic. Now, how do you still keep in in power by by taking your districts more Republican and then building districts where you can pack all the minorities in one districts or two districts or few minority districts that are obviously that are not majority, meaning that they can still be as a as a cohesive body, 150. They need, let's say, more than 75 to be Republican, right? So they keep, let's say, 90, 100 districts Republican and they give others to, to Democrats willingly, right? And say, hey, you can have this, but we will not let you come into our space. And so that's what they, and so let's say if it's a district like Ulysses, right? It was split in two different districts before. 
now with the over, overwhelmingly minority population they split that into three different districts so let's say if there were 50% districts 50% minority districts they became divided by three right so now you know 17 and a half or so percent right so now the minorities don't have any significant wo- a voice that they can be heard so they cannot elect a candidate of their choice right so that's the issue with redistricting but then every so often there's a district like AG92 that's created like i said that is four democrats basically four minorities that they can appoint their, or elect their own people so that's how i've decided to run for that district okay which is much more favorable for that right and to your point you mentioned the uh, some um, details so i was looking at it 95% of texas population increase in last decade has been people of color and hispanics now have been 90 uh, good high 90% but the redistricting exercise has taken one uh, given them one less district based on the new maps that were drawn and that is not it african americans have actually lost that the one district that they were majority in and uh, there are still about eight districts and this is for senate uh, that have no clear majority based on new ones so yes um, a lot of uh, number crunching and a lot of uh, political uh, um, tug of war going on now in terms of looking forward and uh, how can we how can i as a voter play my part in terms of uh, doing something where we become active participants in this process probably it's going to be long term but there's got to be some start yeah i think we need to just generally bring uh, elections and and voting in our everyday life um it it's about we're all creatures of habit right so what what me and my wife nima we all do is every election we go out and vote during early voting so that's another thing that people don't realize people say on oh, november 2nd okay november 2nd is election day let's vote on november 2nd when you go to vote on election day um there's going to be long lines and again this that should not deter people from voting but you have time i mean early voting happens almost two weeks where you have time from you know 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. to go out and vote and it also happens on weekends so and and usually at that time you're in and out in 5 minutes right and so first we need to sort of build that into our routine and say okay i'm going to go i'm going to make a plan to vote and i'm going to take my family because what that does is like we every time we take our kids even though they can't vote they're the ones that actually that you know they go out and vote you know obviously we're there behind them um because that is teaching them that this is part of you know the the social fabric that we need to be part of every single time and so now they're building a habit as well so i know when they turn 18 they're going to vote for for sure right and so how do we create that awareness among our community i think one in another issue for for that is i hear i talk to a lot of people and so they say i don't know what's on the ballot i don't know who to vote for right and so that fear or of voting for somebody wrong just does not let them go out to vote so i i understand that so what i have done is and i can share that with you as well uh for this like this uh, constitutional amendment election that's going on right now actually happening right now as we speak um and it ends uh in in two weeks in november 2nd that there are no candidates on that ballot you will not see any candidates you'll see eight constitutional amendments to the texas constitution so this is a direct way you can influence the state laws by going out and vote So there are eight amendments that you know the legislature has put out 
And I've made a video of exactly what those are and what I'm voting for and what I'm voting against. Because I felt like I should give, be more neutral and just say pros and cons, but our community wants more hand-holding than that, right? They want to say, hey, here's what I'm voting for. You can make up your own mind. And if you trust me, then you may vote the same way. But it's everybody should vote whatever they think. But And then in the next time there will be election, there will be candidates. I'm planning to make another video that talks about pros and cons for each candidate, right? So that way they understand. Another thing is they don't, not a not lot of our community members understand what primaries are. They generally don't vote in primaries. And that's really important, right? Especially for my race. My race is such that if anybody that wins the primary in HD 92 is most likely going to win that general election because majority of the district is Democrat, right? So whoever, whichever Democrat comes out of successful in the primary will most likely win the general election. So primaries will be very crowded. There'll be a lot of people in the primaries. And so it's important for South Asians and other community members to come out and vote for the candidate of their choice. But obviously it, they need to research a lot, right? So if we can come up with nonpartisan voter guides, right? That are, you're not favoring one candidate or the other. You're just sort of laying out the information and saying, hey, here's the website. I think that could really be instrumental. There are community, there are, there are nonprofit organizations like SAVE. I think they uh, they have uh, an acronym called SAVE. I think it's DESI's sort of voting um, South Asian um, uh, activist or whatever, voting together or something like that. And there are a lot of nonprofit organizations like that whose mandate is to bring more people out to vote. There are approximately about 270,000 South Asians in, uh, in, in, in uh, I think, Texas. And so out of that, I think in last election, only 4,000 voted. So you can think about that. It's nothing. It's negligible. But until we increase that number, people won't look at us in, a, in a, any meaningful way that, hey, this group has a lot of power. Because I'll give you a quick example. Uh, Ted Cruz against Beto Org, right, in 2018. Beto lost Texas by, I, I want to say, four or 500,000 votes. 440,000. Something, right? Approximately. And so if you look at how many South Asians are there, I mean, if I don't think 440,000 people, if they had come out, we could have easily, you know, Beto could have won in that campaign if more South Asians came out, if more Muslims came out. You know, so so that it is, we can swing a, a, a huge election like that if we become a good voting block and say, hey, we're gonna vote like this, so because we want our voices heard. So that's a couple of things that, that we can do as a community. Right, so you bring up a very good point. And going back to the community, we pay, we, we put a lot of emphasis on just Desi community. Our numbers are not that much where only our community, if votes for someone, we will be able to put that person in office. Yes, it will be a lot better than not voting. And this I'm bringing it to inter-community alliances, African-Americans, Hispanics. Mm -hmm. We lack that. Yes. I mean, why, why do you think we lack that? And um, how can we work on that uh, going forward? Of course, uh, primaries are coming. Midterm elections are around the corner. Yes, it's next November, but the process itself is about to start um, underway. So how can we work on that uh, inter-community alliances? That's a good point. I mean, I wonder about that every time myself. I think, you know, it will require, like, for example, if so, like, a lot of people come and tell me, okay, how do I get in, inside the South Asian community? The, the, there's no like quick answer or the Muslim community for that matter, right? I mean, I, when I tell people there are 73 different sects within the faith of Islam, people are like, oh, I really didn't know that. I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a very diverse, there's a lot of diversity within the faith of Islam, right? When people don't realize it, there's no 
unison of voice where one leader is going to stand up and say, I am speaking on behalf of all Muslims. That doesn't work, right? Or that's not there, actually. That, that could work, but that's not there right now. So same thing with the African-American community. Same thing with the Hispanic community. There's no one voice that can be for entire community. So what you need to do is generally in the, in the local, uh, you know, groups that are out there, you find leaders. And, and you'll see that it's, it's similar to our South Asian community where there's a lot of chiefs, but very few Indians, right? Um, and, and so there are a lot of people who are self-proclaimed to be leaders of the, you know, African-American community or, or Hispanic community, but, you know, there are very few followers. So we need to really engage the community in a meaningful way, meaning there has to be a, a multi-pronged approach, right? It cannot be just, okay, I'm just going to reach out to all African-American and I'm going to work on that. No, like, I think we... If we can bring in a, a community of like-minded minority members and then and then brainstorm with them, right? Because every member of that community would know how to infiltrate their own community members, right? And so if we can come up with a, a pluralistic, um, you know, um, interfaith uh, or you know, intercultural organization, I think that would be better, right? Because we like to be in our own silos, right? South Asians will tend to be, like Desi's community will be tend to be together. Muslims will tend to be together. You know, Africans tend to be together or Hispanic community tends to be together. How can we, like you said, right? Build bridges am- amongst the communities in order to better understand and better get representation so that we can vote together and, and derive that benefit from each other. Yes. Now, another thing we're talking about the unison is a lot of times what I've seen is socially, we might cross that bridge. From a business context, we are successful business um, uh, owners. We're not taking our business presence into that social presence, turning that into a political presence. How Hmm. can we transform that? Because Dallas-Fort Worth, we have so many Indian, Pakistani, Muslim business owners, um, such fantastic, heavy, uh, hardcore, socially powerful individuals and groups. How can we translate that uh, corporate uh, business presence plus social presence into political presence? Yeah, that's a great question. I wonder about that. I think one way that can be harnessed is by donating to campaigns that like if, if a business um, you know, it has to deal with some, you know, environmental friendly products or so, right? If they donate to campaigns or, or candidates that are environmental conscious, uh, that think about, you know, global warming and climate change, I think that could work out, right? Um, in, in terms of, again, like our community is, is a little bit behind in terms of getting politically engaged. So that's, that's a topic that needs to be reckoned with, right? How is a successful business owner going to even use or harness their success in business to gain some political ground, right? Sometimes, you know, a astute business owner may hire a lobbyist and, and pay them money so that way they can go and, and fight for their particular industry or, or they'll come together as an industry, right? So there are a lot of, let's say, for example, gas station owners that are Pakistani or Indian or, or Desi owned. So they'll form a group and an alliance and say, okay, let's hire lobbyists to go to Austin or go to Washington to fight for issues that that concern us. Um, that that's one way. But an, another another issue that I, I feel that people tell me all the time is they don't want to be political at all in terms of their business, because, for example, if an insurance agent starts you know saying a lot of nasty things against let's say Republicans, the insurance agent may feel that okay, the Republican 
may not they probably may not give him the business right they may take the business away and so we're concerned about that as well right that are we going to be marginalized are we going to be you know there's going to be prejudice based on our political views and so that's why generally i've i've seen a lot of south asians and a lot of community members stay totally clear of any politics uh, or any taking any size any candidate because of the that same fact that they'd rather continue that business coming up than you know to to ruin that by being siding with one candidate or the other right so a very good point there my question to that is so does that also mean that we may want to start helping not really educating but maybe in the long run educating our business owners how they can run a successful business and at the same time be actively participating in politics without jeopardizing their business by virtue of their personal political opinion so i guess that is an education point that we need to do when it comes to our community i think we need to come up with a strategy more than just education because what will you educate them right as soon as you let them know that hey yes you can support candidates right mm-hmm. um you know progressive candidates or whatever that that matches with your values i mean again we have a lot of diversity within our community as well some people are republican some people are democrats that be whatever that is right that that's up to them but if our community comes out and and or or that business owner comes out and donates 5000 10000 to a candidate that's a public record right so they may say they may ask and a lot of people do ask me hey you know if i'm going to donate to you is it going to be public record i'm like yes absolutely there's no lying to that everything is is anything that you do in, in the public arena when you run for office is is public right and so oh i don't want my name to appear because as soon as you search you know mer khan okay you'll figure out how much who he's who has he donated to right or has it been republicans only has it been democrats only so it's like an open book right so that's i think some people are concerned about the confidentiality of that right they don't mind the money a lot of people say oh you know i i don't want to give it but i'll i'll you know ask my cousin to donate to your campaign or something right because it i don't want my name to be used so i i see their point in in some capacity so it's not about educating it's about trying to figure out long term right what what is good for a community i mean we're here in this country i you know my biggest pet peeve is i find aunties and uncles talking about what imran khan is doing in pakistan which is great you can you can talk about that but at the end of the day this is your country this is where your kids are you know probably most likely born or will stay you'll stay here for for a long time so why not invest more time and resources in learning about what what trump is doing here or what biden is doing here or what your local you know city council members are doing people don't realize every may there is a municipal election every single may people just wait for the presidential election right or in a community sometimes right and so if they realize that every every may there's a municipal election where they can go for and vote for their uh, local city council member which impacts them a lot more than they think right uh, because all the road construction library water uh, utilities um, you know, police fire like everything is is controlled by the city and so i think that's something that's my pet peeve and i think that's where education is needed right and education is needed in terms of maybe having and i'm i'm going to do that for my campaign as well having multiple languages uh, doing videos and communication in multiple languages right because we do have a lot of diversity right i mean if they're asians if they're you know chinese or vietnamese or you know hindi or you know urdu gujarati there's so many languages that that we speak i think that's where where we can educate them in their own language because people tend to look at you know videos and and stuff in their own language more than and i'm talking about like maybe older people right our youth i think are 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 trying to integrate well into the into society 
And that's that's my I want to inspire the youth to run for office, right? And that's why I always anytime you have somebody that wants to run for office, just connect them to me because it, it does take a long a lot of effort to do that and you need to have a know-how. And a lot of people don't even support other campaigns to to volunteer at them. So I always tell the youth to start by supporting or volunteering at another person's campaign. It doesn't have to be Desi, it can be you know anybody that's local. So you know how to run a campaign, you get familiar with that and then figure out whatever best for you. Fantastic advice. Now, coming to, uh, as we approach, uh, I'm come close to our time, House District 92. Why Salman Bajani? Uh, what have you done uh, that people who will hear your name, oh, this guy used to be Eula City Council. Okay, he's done a good job. Um, I have no idea who Salman Bajani is. So why Salman Bajani for uh, 92? Sure, yeah, it's a great question. And uh, like I said, it'll be a very dem- uh, crowded Democratic primary. Uh, the edge that I have is I have been elected already, right? Uh, a lot of people throw their name in the hat and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to run for AZ92. Okay, but have, how electable are you, right? So I've already proven the electability factor. I have served on the city council for three years and have done such a great job that in my last year, my fellow uh, city council members elected me as a mayor pro tem for the city of Ulysses. Um, and so, you know, that's a big accomplishment that, you know, a lot of people like me, my work and all that. Uh, and and so AG92, a big portion of ULIS is in AG92. So I, I get to represent my city from the state now, right? Um, another thing is I have owned a gas station, a business in this district since 22 years. Uh, or I think 20 years, yeah, about 20, 20, 22 years or so. And uh, and that's something that I've invested already in the district. And I know like what it takes, right? It's, it's a, there's a lot of, it's a big African-American community there. There's a big Hispanic community there. There's a South Asian community, probably about 11% of the community is South Asian. So it is it is composed of different people of color. And so it should be something that, you know, I, I can resonate with that, just like how I was able to resonate with when I was at Eula City Council. Yeah, another thing I, I forgot to mention is that I've raised about $150,000 already for the Senate campaign. So I'll be bringing that money to this campaign, which will put me ahead of any candidate that sort of decides to come in the race. They have no money that's they're bringing it. I'm already bringing $150,000 to, to the race. I'm glad you mentioned that. So for so many people who keep asking, why should I donate to campaign, to a political campaign? Uh, why can't you just go and uh, ask for votes? So what will $150,000 do or go towards to make sure that you get elected? I mean, why is it important for me to donate? Sure, sure. That's a great question. Um, and and 150000 by the way, it's probably 15% of what I need to raise. I mean, it, it'll, it'll take a million dollars to run this race, basically. Uh, and, and that money, most of it goes, there, so there are a lot of mailers you need to send to, you know, people that are, are voting, uh, that are registered voters, right? And each mailer can cost a lot of money. So you're talking about, you know, the, the stamp, you're talking about, you know, printing cost of that mailer, you know, it could be big and, and you know, colorful and all that, designing cost of that, you know, editing cost of that, and then, you know, then sending it basically, right? And so it, it could be costing $15,000 just for one mailer. If I want to send one mailer today, it can cost fifteen dollars to $20,000. Um, second thing is having a staff that's dedicated, a full-time staff, because this is not a city council campaign. So city council campaign, just to give you proportion, I raised $30,000 in a city council campaign, right? So now this is, uh, you know, six more than six figures, maybe seven figures race, right? And so this is going to be a much, much bigger race where... So 60,000 people live in Ulysses, 30,000 registered voters. 
this district has 200,000 people and registered voters are going to be like more 60 to 70,000 you know registered voters so you already are double the size and it's it's a larger district where you need to sort of you know really work hard on that so it's not like oh volunteers can do it you need full-time campaign staff to do it so that is another you know huge part of the budget uh, and then just doing that video i don't know if you've seen the senate district 9 video that i, I you know i made that was like fifteen thousand dollars just in one video it was a what a minute and a half or two minute video so you, you can imagine like and, and this is not like i, I mean I, I tried to find the best person to do it but that's that's the going rate for these things right and and in order to make it very professional and you saw the video right this is not it's not an amateur sort of doing a video right something and especially because we have this baggage on us right that some people say oh you know the south asians will not do really a professional job right or you know they'll just do half-hearted job or something right so we have to be over in order to overcome that we have to be extra professional we have to do like like this this sign that i have behind right i mean so everything has to be very crisp and and has to be professional so that way people we are projecting an image of somebody that is a white person or a black person or whatever it is we are professional right and that's what i think we have to counteract as well um and so in order to run a professional campaign it needs resources right no matter how how and, and i'll tell you one thing people have donated to my campaign they have not come out to vote that's how tough it is I mean, it's easier for them to say, "Give me money," and hey, here five hundred dollars. You know, go, you know, go and good luck and all that. I mean, we wish you best of luck, but they may not be able to take time out of their schedule to take five minutes out of their schedule to vote, right? So that's how difficult it is. There's so many barriers to voting. I mean, I just, if I sit here, we can spend hours just discussing what are the barriers, especially in the minds of South Asians or Desis or minority community, right? So just that's what we that's the stigma that's attached to that and that's why we need to demystify it. So I'll give you an example. Last last cycle in this district there were only 500 South Asians that, or no not South Asian all Asian 500 vote that voted in a district that has 200,000 people. Oh my goodness. There are wow. 15,000 South Asians in this district only 500 came out to vote. What what percentage is that? Not, not nothing, right? Like why, right? So that's the, that's my question. Why, right? Until we become a sizable voting population, candidates like me will have a difficult time, and candidates who are Caucasian or other races will not look at our community in a meaningful way. Because think about it as a, as a candidate, like you said, right? Why do I need money? Okay, well now if I need to infiltrate the South Asian community or African American community, how will I do that? I mean, I need to hire some people to do that and spend resources, time, and all that. And, and, and you have to actually account for everything. Like, even though I want to pay for it myself, if I had a lunch with some somebody about you know my campaign, I have to put that as a campaign expense, right? And and so I, I'll pay for it, but I still have to put that as an expense. So there's a lot of money that's spent in, in doing that. But if, if if a candidate is 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 running for election and the South Asian community is big, but they don't come out and vote in large numbers, a candidate will say, I don't want to invest my good money for bad returns. I would rather put that money in uh, African American or Hispanic, you know, community because they vote in a larger number than Asian Americans. Does that make sense? So we are marginalizing ourselves by not going out to vote. It's very simple, right? The more you vote, the bigger population you become, and more candidates will come knocking on your door and say, "Omer, what can I do for you?" Right? And that's what you need because when I ran for Ulysses City Council, the first thing I did is let me look at last three elections. Who came out to vote? 
no South Asians, but who, whoever came out to vote, I knocked on their door because in Ulysses, in city of in city election, you can actually I can go alone by myself and knock on their doors because that they're not that many people, right? So, and how can I help you? I can I can ask that question. But if 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 you go vote tomorrow, you'll be on that ballot as well, and then somebody will come and knock on your door. Omar, well, how can I help you? And that's what we need more of. That is something that I have seen. Uh, we don't want to go out and vote. Uh, we don't want to spend time uh, researching folks on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we definitely, I have seen a close circle. We're only concerned with the presidential elections. Mm-hmm. I have also seen where we don't want to worry about becoming political. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, statements I hear, um, hey, let's not make this a political statement even if that is a very factual statement or it's a communication of facts but then again come presidential election time come the results time for any city or state or presidential results we do want to complain we don't want to participate do our duty but we do want to complain Um, so i guess going back to everything that you mentioned yes first we need to really look at what our responsibility is and then once we fulfill that then we can ask hey salman what about my rights so Mm -hmm. you promised me this so what about this so i mean fantastic Uh, i'm pretty sure we're gonna have some more conversations as your campaign um, uh, moves along uh, because uh I, whatever I've read and whatever I've seen, you've done some good work in ULIS and I've absolutely no doubts, uh, even looking at your videos and I was just browsing through uh, your uh, content that uh, you're gonna keep doing that. Any parting words um, for this session, at least uh, for people who might be watching you, who will be watching you or listening to you? Yeah, I'll just say, you know, keep, keep being engaged, right? I think that's how we get our voices back. Uh, whatever you do, uh, voting is obviously number one priority, but not just voting yourself and your family. You know, I, I also bring my parents out every time we go vote, but bring other families, make it an event, like make it like a habit and make it an event where you're going and you're discussing who I should vote for. You know, what what has he done for me? And then when you vote for candidates, ask them, what are you going to do for me? I'm going to vote for you or before or after whatever. Right. And once they get elected. And that's the one thing that I really, really feel our community needs to do is petition our elected officials. Um, when I was on Tula City Council, I have so many Caucasian people reaching out and saying, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? And I did it. But I'm like, where are the Desis? Like, you've got a Desi City Council member here in Ulysses. Why are the Desis not reaching out? I would reach out to them and say, what can I do for you? So I think when elected officials are elected, their, their goal is to serve the community, right? So they're not, I think we, I think we were, very humble people we you know we're hardworking people we don't want to you know bother people we think that we're bothering them but we're not bothering them that is their their goal that is their task that is their job right and so i think that's one thing that i would say is don't be afraid to petition whoever your elected official is from the city to the county to the state to the federal government because they're there to help each one of us you know when when you go out and vote that's how you can really exercise that and make them accountable All right, uh, very insightful conversation with Salman Bojani, uh, who is running for um, House District 92, uh, former city council member for city of Eulis, person who's actually done it, who's walked the walk and uh, who continues to want to inspire our uh, new 
younger generations, um, at least here in Dallas Fort Worth uh, Metroplex. So uh, we'll definitely be continuing our conversations as uh, you move through this campaign. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Salman. And uh, if you viewers, uh, you have any questions uh, regarding political uh, participation, contribution, you know the name Salman Bajani, or even just comment or uh, reach out uh, that way. Even one question answered means that someone is trying to understand some aspect of this whole political ecosystem. Uh, with that thought, uh, uh, once again, thank you very much, Salman, and good night. My pleasure. Good night.